Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin with a question. Has something like this ever happened to you? You are at work or some other place, and you're talking to someone about their spiritual condition. You know that they are lost. You know that they have never rendered their obedience to the gospel of Christ, and your concern for them prompts you to begin to tell them about Jesus. Well, before you get too far along in the discussion, the person says something to the effect of, I don't have any use for organized religion. I don't need to go to church. In the past, I've found the churches to be full of hypocrites anyway. I'm a good person. I worship Jesus in my own way. I am a believer. But can you talk about your church to someone else? Because I'm good. Well, was that person's assessment correct? Are all of those types of statements so many people make true? Is the church unnecessary and can an individual be saved without being a member of the church? What is the relationship, if any, between salvation and the church? Let's begin to answer those questions in this way. If you were to go to a modern encyclopedia or a dictionary and try to find the meaning of the term Church of Christ, you wouldn't find it. If you were to go to a listing of modern churches today, you wouldn't find it there either. Rather, if you want to find the true meaning of the term Church of Christ, you have to go to the scriptures because that's the only place where it is truly found. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, the Lord Jesus made this promise. He said, I will build my church. Jesus kept that promise just as surely as he kept his promise to raise from the dead. From the second chapter of the book of Acts on through the remainder of the New Testament, we can read about the church that Jesus built. The very first local assembly of that church was in Jerusalem. It began when the first gospel sermon with its terms of pardon was preached and the first people listened to its call accepted its invitation to leave the world, to obey Jesus, to be saved by his blood, and to follow him throughout their lives. The word ecclesia, translated as church, originally meant called out. So these people who were called out of the world were termed the church. It did not stop there. Soon this same gospel was preached in the city of Samaria and the results were the same. There were people who heard the call of the gospel, were moved to obey the call and leave the world and were saved by the blood of Jesus Christ by grace through faith. There was then a new body called of called out believers, a new ecclesia, a new assembly of saved souls, another church, the church in Samaria. And it didn't stop there. This was repeated hundreds and hundreds of times in city after city of the first century world, always with the same results another ecclesia, another church. In not too many years, there were churches in practically all the major cities of the Roman world, 
and a host of smaller ones. Wherever there were saved people assembling together, they were called the church in that place. How were those churches designated? Among other things, they were called churches of Christ. We find this in Romans chapter 16 and verse 16, where we read, Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. Why were they called the Church of Christ? Because the saved people who made up those separate and autonomous local churches had been called out of the world by the gospel of Christ. They belonged to him. They were following him. They were, therefore, congregations of Christ, of the churches of Christ. An important point needs to be made here. These local assemblies, these churches of Christ, were all alike. Each assembly being made up of saved people was like every other assembly of saved people in composition and loyalty to Christ. All the saved in any given location were the church in that location, and all the saved in the world were the church in the universal sense. The biblical understanding is there is but one church universally. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 tells us he is also the head of the body, the church. This body was the body of Christ the church. And Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 through 6 assures us that just as surely as there is but one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God, there is but one body. And Jesus called it my church in Matthew 16, 18. Now let's ask, did someone have to be a member of that church to be saved? Well, in truth, church membership and salvation were synonymous. As we go back to the day when the church began in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, this time quoting from the King James Version, we find the following, Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Notice now, being added to the church was not the result of a decision by the saved man to join the church. It was not the result of some vote by the church nor was it the result of a decision by a church official to receive them into the church. When a person was saved, he was, at that same time, made a member of the church by the Lord. All of those who were saved were added at the same time to the Lord's church, Christ's church, and only those who were in the church were saved because they were added to it when they became saved. They were not saved because they were in the church. They were in the church because they were saved. Understand that the church was the object of God's purpose. Those people whom God saved through the blood of his Son, his church, were the demonstration of God's manifold wisdom. Consider with me Ephesians chapter 3 verses 8 through 11, where Paul wrote these words, To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. Understand that these people comprised the church of God which he purchased with his own blood, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28. Understand from Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 and 26 that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. No other body of people could claim these distinctions 
nor could any individual claim them who was not a member of that body. Remember, the church is the body of Christ, and according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 16, Christ reconciles men in one body to God through the cross. Remember as well that Jesus is the Savior of the body, Ephesians 5.23. All of these blessings were promised to no one outside of that body, the church. The New Testament contains a catalog of blessings to be enjoyed in Christ. It tells us of the salvation which is in Christ Jesus in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10. It tells us that in him, according to Colossians 1.14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, we are told, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul kind of sums it all up when he wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. But now I want you to notice something. In verses 22 and 23 of that same chapter, he wrote, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul called the church the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's illustrate what Paul meant by that. If an inner tube is inflated until it is the fullness of the tire, it is then true that all the air in the tire must be in the inner tube. If the church is the fullness of Christ, it follows that all blessings in Christ were in the church, and that all who enjoyed the blessings in Christ were or are in the church. When we say that church membership and salvation are synonymous and happen simultaneously, we are saying no more than that salvation is in Christ. Now I've spoken a great deal about those things set forth in the New Testament and those things that took place related to the church in the first century. Salvation and the church were inseparable. You could not have one without being a member of the other, and you could not be a member of the other without having the one. The question is, is it the same today? I confidently affirm that it is. There's a well-known statement in one of the manuals for one of the large denominational churches, and I'd like to quote from it by way of illustration. This individual wrote, it is most likely that in the apostolic age when there was but one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, and no differing denominations existed, the baptism of a convert by that very act constituted him a member of the church, and at once endowed him with all the rights and privileges of full membership. In that sense, baptism was the door into the church. Now it is different. My question is, why is it different? Though I acknowledge that over the centuries many counterfeit man-made churches have appeared, certainly we are not now to suppose that God recognizes more than one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. Are we to believe that it is no longer true that he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved? Does the Lord no longer add to the church daily such as should be saved? The answer to all of these questions is that God did not change a thing, and man has no right to assume that we can. I affirm that he who is the same yesterday and today and forever, according to Hebrews 13 and verse 8, still adds to his church daily all who are saved. Every person on earth who has been saved has been added to that same church to which our Lord added the saved in the first century. Jesus called that church my church in Matthew 16, 18, 
and it is still his church today. Those who are not in his church have not been saved. Now then, the church we read of in the New Testament is universal. As a matter of fact, it is the only church in existence that can claim such, for it alone includes all who are saved. But that universal church is not the same as the picture of the church that is in most people's minds. Most people believe that the universal church is simply a composite of all denominations, but it is not. Modern denominationalism, with its multiplicity of bodies, ecclesiastical authorities, faiths, and forms of baptism, cannot possibly be the church of Christ that is described in the Bible. In the first century, Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Additional bodies, authorities, faiths and baptisms are outside of the Church of Christ and will not be tolerated within it. Many people also believe that belief in Jesus is the only requirement for membership in this universal church. But that is not true according to the scriptures. According to God's word, men and women had to be saved to be members of the church. Indeed, at the same time they were saved, they were added to the church by the Lord. However, salvation required more than mere belief alone. Remember the people in Jerusalem already believed when they asked, Brethren, what shall we do? In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter then told them what to do. He did not tell them that they were already saved because of their belief. He said, Repent, and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. They were not saved until they were baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, and they were not added to the church until they were saved. All of this being true, and it is, how do we go about identifying the church that Jesus built, the one he called his church? The Lord has given us a description of his church in which it is possible to identify that which is his. First, it must be comprised of saved people. In order for a person to be saved, they must believe in Jesus, repent of their sins, confess their faith in Jesus as the Lord, and be baptized for the remission of their sins. If the church is made up of those who have not done those things, then it is not the Lord's church. Secondly, as Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 tells us, It must have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Thirdly, it must abide within the doctrine of Christ, for to go beyond that means the loss of fellowship with the Lord. 2 John 9 tells us anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. Fourth, it must be being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace acknowledging and upholding that there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That's Ephesians chapter 4 verses 3 through 6. Fifth, it must worship him in spirit and in truth. That's John chapter 4 and verse 24. This is clear. For Jesus also said in Matthew 15 and verse 9, In vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrine the precepts of men. Now then, no reasonable person can say that a church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, 
when its organization is nowhere described in the scriptures. A church cannot be said to abide in the doctrine of Christ if it has to appeal to new revelation to support what it is doing. A church is not acknowledging that there is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism when it has an earthly head here on earth, when it formulates its own creed to stand beside or in the place of the faith of the gospel, or when it offers baptism for any other reason than for the remission of sins. Its worship cannot be in spirit and in truth if a lot of what they do in worship is not found in the New Testament, or if they leave undone the acts of worship that the first century Christian engaged in. And probably most significantly of all is that if a church is made up of people who have not complied with the terms of salvation set forth in the New Testament, it cannot be the church to which the Lord adds the saved. My friends, salvation and the church are inseparable. We are not saved because we are members of the Church of Christ. We are members of the Church of Christ because we are saved. I hope you give careful consideration to these words and thanks for listening.